Welcome to Strange Bedfellows Podcast, where no question is too dark, no topic too taboo. Join us to explore sexuality, self-help, and politics with our expert guests and friends. We believe that sexual rights are human rights and that we can all create a brighter world through education and conversation. I am a parent, I am a certified holistic sex educator, I am a longtime sex worker and adult industry entertainer. My name is Elle Stanger and I'm a host of Strange Bedfellows Podcast. My name's John. You might know me as the audio engineer and editor of last season's podcast. I'm now returning as a co-host for season two. I'm a 22-year-old gay man and activist who will share my perspective in the coming season. Join us while we explore and uncover the things that make us squirm, make us shiver, make us tingle in delight. Because sex and politics can make for some very strange bedfellows. Hi, John. Hey. Hey. Uh, we have a guest today. Hi, Jaden. Hi. Hi. Uh, so we're going to talk about autism. Uh, this might seem out of the blue for a lot of people and our listeners, but I think by the end of the episode, you won't feel that way. Uh, my interest in this topic began when I started reading about specifically Asperger syndrome and I was like, God damn, that sounds like me <laughs> in so many ways. And then I looked back into my learning disabilities and then uh, my child was recommended for screenings after showing symptoms in, quote, almost every category of autism by age five. So this is a really broad topic, uh, autism neurodivergence language about it. And today we're going to examine it uh, as people who've been touched by these attitudes or definitions. We're going to talk about how it ties into sex. And again, we welcome our guest, Jaden, who is knowledgeable in this field. Jaden is a registered behavior technician, which is at the national level of certification under the BACB, the Behavior Analysis Certification Board. She is a registered behavior analyst interventionist in Oregon State. Jaden also has a degree in psychology. Spoiler alert, our guest is also a stripper. Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> that was not on purpose, by the way. When we started sourcing guests and looking around in the community, uh, you're like, by the way. <laughs> uh, so that's kind of funny. That might come up later, too. Um, John, do you have any like personal relationship or knowledge or what do you know about autism stuff? Anything? Um, I know that like people can land anywhere on the scale in terms of like their ability to function. So there's like high functioning autism, um, what might be categorized as like lower functioning autism in terms of being able to take care of yourself. Um, I know that there are like different expressions of it and like how people, so like, you know, like you mentioned Asperger's or, um, I've definitely seen like, I would say people in my life, uh, whether it's my dad or my boyfriend who have different types of autism. Um, I myself have, a have struggled with like, I would say social interaction, uh, like mm -hmm. earlier on, like my parents used to send me to like social development centers and things like that where they like would make me practice interacting with people in like picking up social cues and doing things like that which took me a while because it was not always the brightest i kind of had to be explained 
right? I had to be taught those things. So Jaden's nodding. Um, the language. So I've said it. We've read it. Uh, high functioning, low functioning. What's a better way to... Jaden, can you think of something that comes up instead of high functioning, low functioning? Because I've heard high support needs versus low support needs. Definitely. Um, high functioning and low functioning is definitely terminology that we're moving beyond. Um, the autistic community really feels like using that kind of language can be very dismissing to the actual lived experiences of yeah. these people. For example, um, you know, a high functioning person is labeled that way and it's very dismissing towards the struggles that they really do have that might be hidden or, um, you know, behind closed doors. And also for people labeled low functioning, um, it's really kind of putting them in a box as to what their potentials really are and what their strengths really are. Um, so the language that we're moving towards um, kind of centers around their support needs. Mm -hmm. So instead of saying a high functioning person, framing it towards like uh, a low support needs person mm -hmm. and for a low functioning person, framing it, framing it towards um, higher support needs. Mm -hmm. So and we're going to get into some examples. Um, so like, e like even just God recently, like this week, I'm still looking around and having um, thoughts and conversations about the language I feel comfortable using because mm -hmm. I haven't been properly diagnosed and that's a separate issue. It turns out it's really hard to be diagnosed as an adult Yeah, because a lot of the learning right and the developmental stuff kind of disappears or falls off or people can age out of some of their symptoms. Mm -hmm. Can we talk about that? Sure. I mean, my first thought about that is, you know, people probably think that like if you've made it, so far to be an adult without needing to you know seek a medical diagnosis that mm. some people are like well you're you're fine like you're functioning so mm -hmm. you know why um why do you need to be diagnosed or i don't know i think autism historically has been very underdiagnosed especially for females girls women um yeah. Let's talk about here. Let me can I read you guys a brief section? So let's introduce what uh, autism Asperger's like even means. Let's go back sure. into some little history. Mm -hmm. Cool. So I have this book that I got really into Geeks, Genes and the Evolution of Asperger's Syndrome by Dean Falk and Eve Penelope Shawfield. So Dean is a research professor uh, in anthropology and brain function paleo neurology and then her niece granddaughter granddaughter is someone who identifies as an aspie so uh let's see so the history anyway in 1944 austrian pediatrician hans asperger described a clinical condition that eventually became known as asperger's syndrome because his young patients were intensely focused on their inner worlds asperger described them as autistic which literally means state of being self-absorbed 
A year earlier, psychiatrist Leo Kanner used the same label for another group of children who were later recognized as having, quote, classic autism. Most of the patients in both groups were boys who were socially inept and insensitive to the thoughts and feelings of others. They avoided eye contact and had flattened or otherwise strange tones of voice. Instead of playing imaginatively with others, they engaged in repetitive solitary activities like forming patterns with rows and toys or organizing objects into stacks. The youngsters hated change and became terribly upset when their routines were disrupted. Asperger observed remarkable differences between the two groups of children. Referring to himself in the third person here. So um, autism and Asperger's are related and have some overlaps, but I would argue they're not the same. <laughs> uh, Asperger's typical cases are very intelligent children with extraordinary originality of thought and spontaneity of activity. Their thinking seems unusual in that it is endowed with special abilities in the area of logic and abstraction. The Asperger children, very early, even before they walk, develop highly grammatical speech and may be uncommonly apt at using expressions coined spontaneously. So this is Asperger's kids. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's me. I was reading before I was two. Like, my parents said that I was like, oh, communism in China. Like, watching the TV. <laughs> it was six, you know, whatever. So, and I was a very uh, late to potty train. And I would say a little late to walk. However, the children with Canner's syndrome generally avoid communication. Consequently, they do not develop speech or develop it very late. So that would be more classic autism. Um, later on, the author says that about 50% of people diagnosed as autistic remain mute most of their lives. So there's a big difference in speech. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Asperger people tend to be much more vocally inclined. The author says half a century after Asperger published his, his findings, the American Psychiatric Association named Asperger's disorder as a pervasive developmental disorder in its 90, 1994 edition of the DSM. Uh, the diagnostic criteria for Asperger's disorder included significantly impaired social interactions, repetitive patterns of behavior, and highly restricted interests and activities. The DSM also specified that affected individuals experienced no clinically significant general delay in language or cognitive development. Above all, it was this specification that set Asperger's apart from another condition listed in the DSM, autistic disorder. So then in 2013, the fifth DSM came out, and in, at this point, the American Psychiatric Association folded Asperger's, autism, and several other conditions into a single category called Autism Spectrum Disorder. What this meant for undiagnosed individuals who would have met the criteria for Asperger's disorder using this new change means that in the future, they might not satisfy the restrictive criteria and then might not become eligible for needed services or treatments. Um, so just something when we talk about all this stuff on the autism spectrum, that can mean a range of behaviors and traits and what can be strengths or differences. Um, what can you think of some common symptoms that we might recognize in a child or person on the autism spectrum? I think the most notable ones um, are usually what's visible and oftentimes that is um, stimming-like behavior, um, also known as stereotypy. Um, and that's where you see more of those repetitive behaviors um, that are usually um, providing a sense of relief or stress control for the individual. Um, 
for more so neurotypical people that usually manifests as behaviors such as um, tapping your pencil on your desk or tapping your foot or even nail biting. Um, but with people, um, with autistic people, um, that might be hand flapping, which is one of the more stereotypical um it's it's more noticeable than nail biting in public. It's more noticeable the and hand flapping. Right. And it's more unusual. It's more stigmatized. It's more stigmatized, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um maybe some echolalia, which is <laughs> <laughs> which is some like vocalizations that may not be related to a context or they're repetitive, um, or they're just maybe not a part of a conversation. Um, I do that. I've done that during job interviews when I was a teenager. Ah. Uh, oh, fuck. It was embarrassing. <laughs> this lady was like, oh, you should work at the biscuit shop. And I said, oh, you should work at the biscuit shop. Oh, no. <laughs> and then I realized that came out. Anyway, no. But um, so some of uh, some of the things I've noticed, I tap with my I type with my fingers. I type sentences mm. like the same sentence over and over and over again. Mm. Um, but I do it very small because mm-hmm. people won't notice that mm-hmm. you know like that's having that's me having the awareness knowing that like a flapping motion isn't what calls to me also mm-hmm. but there's ways that people can stim that are more noticeable than others yes yeah yeah i used to have this like take where uh, i would just kind of bite my lip or like play with my ear like over and over and over for hours and then I remember uh, that you said your dad was worried your parents yeah. were worried you were gonna fuck up your ear yeah, yeah, my dad used mm-hmm. to to punish me for for like twisting my ear into like the into my ear like deeper. I don't know how that how to explain that, but yeah, I used to do mm-hmm. that a lot. And then, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. I've chewed my hair. I've eaten chapstick, mm-hmm. like biting nails, biting cuticles. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, um, typing, tapping, rocking, drumming, mm-hmm. humming. Yeah, mm-hmm. all of these things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Fucking stresses people out makes them not like you mm-hmm. <laughs> it's very very um tiring trying to hide this shit in public oh god i'm getting emotional it's real okay so why are female children women girls um we'll say female children because at that age like sex is more important than gender in some ways right. whatever um why are they less likely to be diagnosed do you think well i've um as far as i understand assessment tools were developed around boys (laughs) (laughs) it was all developed around boys by men usually (laughs) right um and also there's some research suggesting that girls aren't being brought in to be assessed Mm. um maybe for various reasons um some experts say that girls are better at hiding their autistic behaviors um Maybe parents are afraid of that stigma and Mm -hmm. would rather kind of deal with things on their own and not get them assessed. I know that cross-culturally, that's a big, big phenomenon. Um, Really? What's that? Yeah. Families not bringing in their children to be assessed. Oh, because they're afraid that they might actually need the treatment and then it would be real. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Because, yeah, because that diagnosis is extremely stigmatizing much more in other places than the United States, such as Britain or 
uh, South Korea. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, there are a lot more hardships um, for families and autistic individuals. Mm -hmm. Can we can we bring something up before if anyone gets mistaken? Um, so this is genetic. There's likelihoods, yes, if during your pregnancy, of course, the fetus can be impacted by anything, but it's largely, research suggests, genetic. Wait, um, oh, it's genetic? I got mine from vaccines. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what was, what was the on. name of that doctor who lost his license after he falsified that study claiming that vaccines lead to autism? I don't oh, remember yeah. his name, but he lost his license. So... Right. We need to stop. That's not a thing. However, yeah, I'm not. looking at a book here. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, Eating for Autism. So this book is hella helpful and also problematic because mm. the way it was written. Do you have any, do you, are you familiar with this book? No. Okay. So Eating for Autism, Elizabeth Strickland, MSRDLD. She is a registered dietitian specializing in nutrition therapy for autism spectrum disorders. So the, the problem with this is yes, as a person probably on the spectrum and also with a child probably on the spectrum and a partner probably on the spectrum um i will say that what i put in my body absolutely impacts how i function like absolutely but there is a problem with these goddamn jenny mccarthy housewives who believe that what they fed their kid gave them autism Ugh. you know so here's the thing if i have can i read a ooh, tiny little paragraph uh, so with artificial colors or preservatives, uh, it says that it can impact how neurotransmitters function. Okay, I'll get down with that. Absolutely. I know that I have purposely for years avoided um, dyes and preservatives as much as I can, but eating totally whole organic food is really difficult. Um, sometimes unless you can really afford it and you're very mobile um, because I know that when I have aspartame and dyes and shit I feel more weird it contributes to my insomnia I can feel it in my jaw and it makes me manic as fuck sometimes so um, but I want to get away from the idea that like if you feed your child bad or you give them a vaccine it's going to make them all of a sudden have this like life-ending syndrome syndrome is also a problematic word but what do you think? Um, yeah, I mean, those rumors about vaccines and food, as you described, those are completely unfounded. Um, autism is caused by a, a mixture of biology and maybe environment as well. There's so many variables that people are doing research on. There's really no pinpoints as to what directly causes autism, um, mm -hmm. but you know, we definitely know that vaccines do not cause autism um, mm. or diet in, in those specific regards. I mean, maybe particular foods and things can exas exacerbate um, symptoms, symptoms for sure. Feelings. A lot of the parents I've worked with um, exclude dyes especially like red 40 mm -hmm. um for those exact reasons mm -hmm. um and it's definitely proven that autistic people tend to have more sensitive digestive systems mm. um so you'll see a lot of dietary restrictions and needs around diets such as um 
you know, steering away from gluten and soy, maybe dairy, things that are hard to digest. Mm -hmm. Um, Experimenting with those things and eliminating some of those things from your diet or your child's diet, I think has definitely helped a lot of people out, Mm -hmm. Um, especially in the kind of diets that kids tend to have you know lots of cheese <laughs> lots of gogurt breading lots of sugar and sugar and sugar <laughs> and pop tarts it's so so invaluable marshmallow pop tarts to what the fuck? experiment and take some of those things out <laughs> and yeah. see how that impacts um your behavior or your child's yeah mm-hmm. um we have so much more to get to let's take a little break Rax is the first native app designed by and for sex workers with unique features like a social feed, club reviews, income tracking, and event calendars. Use it to grow your business at the touch of a button. For more information on Rax and more events, in-depth courses, and free content for adult entertainers, visit www.raxtoriches.com. R-A-C-K-S to riches.com. And just for Strange Bedfellows listeners, use discount code SBP at checkout for 10% off any educational products. Attention service and sex industry workers. Seeking Space Yoga is dedicated to providing holistic options that work with your schedule. Our Sin Yin classes are meant to help you wind down, reset, and improve overall health. Need a little motivation? The first Sin Yin class is free to new members, and we offer discounts on all memberships and packages for those in the industry. Visit SeekingSpaceYoga.com or download the app to check out all of our industry-friendly class times. Welcome back to Strange Bedfellows, your favorite politics, self-help, and sex podcast. Uh, we have a guest today to talk about the autism spectrum and how it impacts people's lives and uh, how to formulate better language as well as uh, what we can learn about it. Um, I feel like there's so much we're not going to be able to get to here. Um, also, I want to bring it back. If, if anybody is like, oh man, you guys are making this sound really bad. I mean, some people, some people have a much harder time moving through this world and some people do not. So on the one end of what does your daily life look like, you know, as someone experiencing extreme sensitivities to sound and light and vibration or taste or scent, you know, I have a really hard time sometimes around um, keeping my mouth shut because I'll just be like, I smell sulfur. I hear the, don't you see that light over there? And people are like, what are you seeing all, like my mom or others <laughs> are like, where are you seeing all this shit? How are, I'm like, I can't, I feel everything all the time. It's very fucking stressful. Um, yeah, you know, but like hyper awareness, but compared to someone else who maybe like can't go out in public at all, that's a whole different story. So I don't want to make it sound like having sensitivity or issue socializing is a death sentence. Obviously the stuff exists on a spectrum, like everything else we talk about, sexuality, mm-hmm. everything. Um, John, let's do some listener questions. Can you read the first one? My child was diagnosed as higher support needs on the autism scale, and he is mostly nonverbal at the age of six. 
I'm having the hardest time worrying about how he will find social support and loving peer groups. Are romantic relationships out of the question too? I'm so sad about this. Aww. Um, so B, my partner B, he's 30 years old now. Um, he's pretty quiet. He can talk. <laughs> but uh, according to his mom, he was very nonverbal until about four or five. And I know that's not six. But keep in mind that people can have very fulfilling, connected lives. Um, you have a lot of time. People can have happy, connected, fulfilling lives without romantic relationships. I mean, think about our asexual guest, Sarah Jane. She's like, I get all the cuddles I need from my cat and my friends, and I do quilting, <laughs> you know. Um, what do you think, Jaden? What do you think, John? Uh, what a sad message. Um, Thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely, your child can have fulfilling relationships. Um, you know, you are their biggest advocate. There are so many rights of parents that are not explained to parents. So I'm not going to lie. Like, you're going to have to navigate a lot on your own. Um, and I really recommend trying to develop connections and friendships with other families who have children on the spectrum. Um, I'm sure, you know, depending on where you live, you know, you can Google like your hometown or your closest city um, with the word autism or autism support group um, and try to find anything like that. Maybe even Facebook. I know Facebook has a lot of pretty active groups um, build those bridges, talk to other people, and learn your rights as a parent. Um, if you decide to get treatment for your child, such as applied behavior analysis, which is what I practice, um, you know, come in with those questions, make sure those meetings are happening. Um, you know, just like the general nonprofit um, sector as a whole, these these nonprofits or um, mental health treatment centers, they have issues with funding. They are usually understaffed. Um, you know, these professionals, they came in, they came into the field with really good intentions, but usually they're really struggling with that, you know, that work balance and that workflow and making sure their services are quality. Mm -hmm. um, so as a parent, ask as many questions as you can talk to the people who are working with your child as much as you can make sure those meetings are happening um, if there's a treatment plan read it ask questions um, if you have uh, if you have options to have your child attend a center that's great but also have them come into your home I really recommend both community meetings as well um, and in regards to social groups and romantic connections for your child, absolutely. They will absolutely have those. Um, if you're there to support them and you love your child, you know, I think your heart will lead you in the right direction. Um, you know, keep fighting. And but also not all of the pressure is on you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Don't expect you to be a perfect parent because that's not going to happen <laughs> it's a community-wide effort mm -hmm. you need help 
you deserve help. You mm-hmm. and your child deserve so much help from the community, from the school, from everything. Well, and also think about like maybe it's probably too early to know a whole lot because, well, maybe it depends. Um, but like, so Bird started categorizing all her toys by shape and color and all kinds of stuff. And I can go in a room and she's written like 10 five page short stories, you know, but they're like strewn about like she's a very active creator. But um, in a non vocal child, they're still processing in their brain they're just processing in a different way so mm-hmm. there can be people that are very nonverbal that can design great elaborate you know pieces of art and science so s- support your kids interests is what i'm saying um, because if they can dive really really deep into their interests in a proactive way they might create something amazing mm-hmm mm-hmm yeah, I promise they're listening. <laughs> yeah, they can hear you. If um, they don't speak very much or at all, they're still listening. Mm-hmm. We have no idea um, what their receptive skills are. Um, there's a wonderful book called The Mind Tree. Hmm. It's by Tito Rajarshi Ukupadie. Mm-hmm. I don't believe I pronounced that correctly. Uh, <laughs> I do that sometimes. It's okay. <laughs> um, but it's about... It's about a mother and a son, um, and the son was autistic, and he was nonverbal. Um, and the story is about his mother's passion in making sure that she communicated with her child in some way. Um, and although um, her son Tito was never gained verbal skills Mm -hmm. um he was a poet and he could write so eloquently Mm. um so that would be a really great wonderful example Mm -hmm. um about just the absolute extensive extensive ways an autistic person is listening and conceptualizing the world even with language even though they might not speak at all Mm -hmm. Temple Grandin is often cited um, and she's created like I think the majority of uh, she had an interest in animals and also in engineering. So she just devised, I think, more humane ways for cattle farming or cattle to be processed, Um, which, John, you're probably like, there is no such thing. (laughs) (laughs) Temple Temple Grandin is definitely one worth looking into. Uh, Aspie Girls. Who wrote Aspie Girls? That's a book. Uh, for Asperger impacted girls. Um, We're going to talk about language in a little bit, but also as far as um, social support and loving peer groups. So here's the thing with people who might have a hard time picking up on social cues, nonverbal cues, hints, irony, sarcasm, um, sexual relationships can be really fucking hard Mm -hmm. because there's all that implied when do I call? Is it okay <laughs> to touch now? It, you know, it's already hard for us as <laughs> neurotypicals um, or people who have more communication skills um, than people who have a lot of challenges with communication. So mm-hmm. I just can't even imagine mm-hmm. like trying to figure out what's cool and acceptable as that changes all the time in mm-hmm. a way that's communication like fuck that. And you know what I have to say, my relationship started getting a lot better when I leaned into my own need for like straightforward communication. Um, finding boundaries is hard, but I've been, and I've been learning to do that too. And obviously we've been building a show all about boundaries because I realized that in order for me to function in the world, I needed to know what the rules were. 
or I needed to devise and create ones that seem to make sense based on what I've learned by observing. When I completed my certified sex education, training was actually on sexuality and autism. So I reviewed a handful of studies on the topic. Nice. Uh, yeah, thank you. And so not only do people on the ASD spectrum tend to be less likely to display gender roles, I thought that was interesting. There's a masculinization often seen in autism spectrum females that is present. And there is a either neutral or feminization seen in autism spectrum males that is so wow. often present. And is this, does this have anything to do with another study that I saw that says that ASD people might receive more testosterone in the womb? Or does it have to do with something like if we don't pick up on social cues, like how to be a man or a woman in this society, are we less likely to follow them? Um, so there's value, I think, to neurodivergence because it's people who aren't following the rules simply because they're not picking up on them. Sometimes the rules are bullshit. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> uh, and then there was another study that was sexual attraction and relationships in adolescence with autism by researchers are May, Pang, and Williams in 2017. And they wanted to discover two things. How early ASD teens have their first sexual experience compared to control groups and to see if there was a variation in attraction and past relationships between ASD and neurotypical 14 and 15 year olds. Uh, it turns out that ASD teens tend to have their first sexual experience later, often because they have trouble socializing, self-reported, or what they found overall is that ASD kids, yes, tend to have a later first sexual experience, which isn't necessarily bad. I mean, it can cause distress, mm -hmm. you know, in people. Um, but that's a social pressure, again, mm -hmm. to feel like you have to fuck. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so the control groups was 94 ASD kids, 3,454 neurotypical kids. Uh, so I hope we gave enough meat to that question. <laughs> Back to the question. Hey, John, you want to read the next one? Sure. Hi. Is the word Aspie a slur? I self-identify as such, and was told by non-ASD friends that it's not a word I should use. So that's the, the question we got. I'm laughing a little bit at the fact that it's like a person without mm -hmm. ASD telling them what to say. But. Yeah. Right. I've been told as someone who identified as a victim of rape that I shouldn't victim like self-identify that way. This was by mm. someone who said they had not been raped before i mean survivor versus victim but it turns out there's a real big split on the language what do you think Jaden? um in regards to that word i i feel like it's in regards to that word um it's my personal opinion that you know you only use that word if you kind of identify with it in regards to using it i do feel like it's kind of a slang word or just a casual, a very casual word that um, maybe only people who identify with it can use. I can't think of many contexts <laughs> as to when like using that word for other people is like entirely like uh -huh. respectful. Uh -huh. I mean, what are you, what is that word addressing? That word is addressing somebody else's like social awkwardness. Right. Right. So if I was saying to be, I'm like, oh my God, I'm feeling aspy as fuck today. <laughs> we could actually chuckle about that together, I think, honestly. 
but so heavy on context so heavy on context or if i'm attending a group meeting and i'm like aspie girls you know uh-huh context of the people who are participating and self-identify um and self-identifying i want to argue is really tricky because i want to respect everybody's ability to like speak to their experience i would love to be properly diagnosed all right let's take a break do you like food, boobs, and babes who smoke weed? If so, treat yourself to some wholesome stoner fun on Topless Takeout. In this new web series, you can join your host, Jacqueline, as she eats her way through Phoenix, Arizona, topless. It'll be sure to satisfy all foodie and nudie lovers. New episodes are released once a month. Check out patreon.com forward slash topless takeout to watch the latest Not Safe for Work episode now. Hey friends, are you sick of razor burn? Have your nethers cleaned up by the pros at Netherlands Wax in Vancouver, Washington, where experienced owner estheticians have performed literally thousands of Brazilian waxes. Netherlands Wax is gender-neutral, sex-positive, trans and queer-welcoming, kink-positive, and body-positive. We are just over the 205 Bridge in Vancouver, Washington. Worth the drive. Find us on Facebook, Yelp, or netherlandswax.com. Welcome back to Strange Bedfellows, where we're talking about autism with our guest and owl. Hi, Jaden. Hello. You said that you had worked doing some, what was the word? Controversial treatment. Did you say it was controversial? So I practice um, applied behavior analysis, which is a relatively new therapy. Um, And historically, it's definitely has had some ethical shortcomings. Um, Like what? Well, people... Um, people who have experienced ABA, autistic people say that, you know, when they were a child or a young person receiving ABA, um, they felt maybe even traumatized Mm. by ABA, um, Mm -hmm. or that, you know, their feelings weren't considered or, you know, their overall just first person perspective, um, as to what it was like receiving, receiving those services. What does the treatment look like? Um, it's very calculated. It's very uh, procedure heavy. So applied behavior analysis focuses on expressed behavior. Um, so, you know, focusing on social communication and life skills. Um, oh, it's, quick question. Is this the one that's like reward and consequence based? Because I think I yes. did something like that and I hated it. Ooh, meaty. Uh-huh. Let's get into it. Okay. okay. See, this is great because we could talk about why you hated it and if it could have been done better or yeah. not at all or let's do it. Yeah. Okay. So what was that like for you, John? So my parents... Um, would reinforce basically like good things with rewards and then also punish. (laughs) Um, Mm. And they found this system that worked for them that they had talked with like a doctor about, I guess, or something um, Mm. where they bought a set of poker chips and each poker chip represented a different amount of like points or something. And when I did good things, I would get points. And when I did bad things, I would like lose poker chips and I remember them doing this for a long time <laughs> mm. and I hated it. And it was like, I don't feel like I was learning how to do things other than through incentives. Um, mm. But I don't know. Yeah. That's, I, no, that's valuable. I didn't like that one as much. Yeah. yeah. So can we talk about, you said that it's been problematic. 
yeah before okay so what how do you say it has you said it has great potential it definitely does at least where I'm practicing in Portland Oregon I think there's a lot of individuals who are very passionate about ethics and really um you know trying to kind of reframe things and you know do some of the things that we've talked talked about here such as using identity first language um and really considering like the perspective of the person who's receiving the therapy Mm -hmm. um sometimes like it seems like only the behavior is being focused on and we don't within ABA there's really no prompting for the instructor to really like consider the experience of the person Mm. or or that part of it is considered common sense Hmm. and so what would that look like can you give me an example like just some behaviors that might um show like discomfort or like Mm -hmm. dissatisfaction or worry from a person for example crying so yeah so like you know autistic people and especially children um can be very like um get overwhelmed they can get overwhelmed and and also they can be really um tied to routine Mm -hmm. they find a lot of comfort in routine Mm -hmm you know, routine provides like predictability and it minimizes surprise, um, all that. So yeah, when a child cries, especially an autistic child who cries, sometimes that behavior in ABA is kind of seen as like a behavior to work through hmm. um, and not kind of like- What is it telling pause you? Pause yeah. and reevaluate what's going down. Yeah. Um, it's kind of hard to explain, but- Okay. Well, worth looking into. I mean, yeah, we have no fear about covering uh, controversial topics, obviously. It's like mm-hmm. when we've talked about even the history behind gynecology is like rife with slavery and racism. It's mm-hmm. awful. So um, I'm always interested in hearing how people who've worked in these environments could do them better. And then obviously people like John who were in these environments and felt like they could have done better. <laughs> Um, like the concept of consent mm -hmm. is not in ABA. Interesting. Okay. So maybe by introducing the concept of consent in ABA, that could entirely change things. Absolutely. And there's a lot of physical prompting. Um, Oh, touching. Yes. Oh God. A lot of that. Oh God. Mm -hmm. Oh God. My child is literally not smiling in her first grade photo, which is fine. (laughs) I thought it was hilarious because she's like, they touched my hair Uh and told her to smile. And she's like, you know, yeah. Um, there's a lot of touching. Oh, no. And physical prompting. Okay. That yeah. makes it tough. That would piss me off. For sure. You know when or, you're a kid and someone comes up and pats you on the head? <laughs> so Spin. degrading. Ugh. Right the fuck out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's really interesting. All right. So that right there, I could see how consent could change an entire institution, right? Mm-hmm. We've talked about it before. Mm-hmm. Um, can we talk about Autism Speaks? Ugh. Please do. <laughs> Um, yeah. Autism Speaks is terrible. I this mean, is the I organization with the blue the puzzle blue piece. puzzle piece. Yeah. And unfortunately it's so annoying because so many like um 
nonprofits serving autistic people have this like blue puzzle piece and it's just like why mm. why like why are we all using that um you said there was an awful video i am yeah autism. it's called i am autism and it's the most like terrifying thing i've like ever seen just about autism just, knows where you live works faster than pediatric aids cancer and diabetes combined it might al also make your marriage fail yeah what the fuck? it's uh -huh. Yeah, it portrays autism mm -hmm. like it's it portrays autism like something a doctor could inject into your child, honestly, or could, that could poison worse. the water. Like it's like it's like a sadistic mm -hmm. abuser. Mm -hmm. Like it's a force of evil. Mm -hmm. It's there's, terrible. There's a an article why autism speaks doesn't speak for me by Emily Willingham, contributor to Forbes.com. This was in 2013. She's the parent of a child on the spectrum, and she says. You know, on bad days, being depleted mentally, physically, and emotionally, or being up all night caring for your child because they had a bedwetting accident, or they're trying to bite someone, or you can't afford a trip to a doctor specializing it. This is also just part of being a parent. Mm -hmm. She's like, this, yes, this is autism, but sometimes it's just parenting. Can Absolutely. be tough. <laughs> <laughs> um, apparently, they give only 4% of their budget to family service grants. Some of the people on their board make over $500,000 a year. Mm -hmm. They only have two out of 20-something board members that are on the spectrum. They're, oh, former... And some, work, and some folks um, in there who do have autism have left. Yes. And been like, yeah. John Elder Robeson, <laughs> the author of Look Me in the Eye, uh, he wrote about having Asperger's. Uh, he left and he made a statement. He said, Autism Speaks says it's the advocacy group for people with autism and their families. It's not, despite having had many chances to become that voice. Autism Speaks is the only major medical or mental health nonprofit whose legitimacy is constantly challenged by a large percentage of people affected by the condition they target. Yeah. He says, I've suggested things the organizer could do to garner support and those suggestions have been ignored. Yeah. That's too bad. So fuck them and get off that bandwagon, please. <laughs> <laughs> it sucks, though, because like earlier, you're like, oh, try to find some groups. And when I typed autism, plus I think they're going to be up there. Oh, it was the like Google the second search. thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I felt necessary to include that in this episode. When you're looking for resources. Ugh. Yeah. A better resource would be the Autistic Self-Advocacy Network, ASAN. Yes, I saw them actually. Okay, there was a good piece of writing on there. Um, what are some good general suggestions for communicating with high support needs ASD people? Um, these, interestingly enough, so the thing about neurodivergence uh, is if you start thinking about people on the spectrum or with any kind of neurodivergence, think about the human brain and just imagine certain parts are highlighted or maybe depleted. So... I've noticed that in books and reading workshop help for people on the spectrum, like communication and consent, it's the same shit we want to teach everyone. It's like the same baseline <laughs> shit we want to teach everyone. Yeah. Really simple communication. Ask before you touch. You can set your boundaries. It's just that some people need this stuff more. Right. That's another point of criticism for ABA for me is because a lot of times consent and considering the experience of the other person is um, deemed as like common language or common sense 
and mm-hmm. that as we see in our own daily lives as um <sighs> neurotypical people consent and considering the perspectives of other people we are struggling with that <laughs> as a species like yeah. let's be real yeah. so if we are to think that you know these professionals are just employing common sense and taking care of your child or taking care of you there's so much to learn there yeah you just can't think that yeah common sense is a big gray area yeah because common sense can vary just based on what part of the country you grew up in Mm -hmm. i don't know um removing some of the stigma is always can you focus on any of their strengths um like i get really frustrated sometimes with my kid lit because going out to eat could be we walk into the room i mean she's also a child but she's she's very sensitive on the nose and the ears and the eyes she'll be like what smells like blah blah or you know whatever that sign's crooked that's spelled wrong (laughs) and i'm like oh honey people can hear you we go in the bathroom toilets forget about it flushing toilets since she was a baby so it can be a little stressful but then I'm like oh but she's such a prolific writer and she writes me poems and sings me songs and like what a creator you know yes so yeah try to focus on the good stuff you know some strengths of autistic people sometimes they can have like much higher IQs and somebody said in my research like 99% of people can't do a job that that one percent of people on the spectrum can like in regards to science and technology (laughs) and math right like yeah they shape our world hans asperger says the asperger this is specifically aspergers but also just autists just depending you know depending on the person may continue with a special subject with undiminished vigor and with originality and may find in the end there, I'm going to say there instead of his, way into an unusual career, perhaps into highly specialized scientific work, maybe with an ability bordering on genius. Indeed, it seems that for success in science or art, a dash of autism is essential. <laughs> <laughs> for success, the necessary ingredient may be, the in, may be an ability to turn away from the everyday world, from the simply practical, an ability to rethink a subject with originality so as to create in new untrodden ways with all abilities canalized into the one specialty. Um, so sometimes people have really bad social skills are major creators. Uh, Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so just like interacting tools, I think I've mentioned. So my kid is in a specialized learning program for kids who tested really high in uh, reading, math, science. And they have these little cards that I don't know what they're called, but it's, it's like her toolbox or something. So when the kid's feeling overstimulated or like they're going to have a meltdown, she's already picked her little stickers that she stuck on, the things that calm her down. And she has snacks, reading, and art. <laughs> and on this little chart, you can point to whether it's red, yellow, or green. So if the kid is feeling so overstimulated by maybe the lights and the buzzing, and then someone comes up and touches her, and so she freaks out and hits them. You know, that kid had a reaction because they're feeling overwhelmed. So it's nice if the, if the kid's like, I'm feeling overwhelmed. Here's my card I'm going to hold up and point to so I can go to the little calm down space. You know, and this nice. is stuff, right. It's stuff that people have when they have sensory and processing delays or issues. But how many of us could use this stuff anyway? Like reconnecting with, I'm feeling stressed. What can calm me down? 
Visual cues are so powerful, especially for children. And I brought an example right here. <gasps> you did? Oh my god, yeah. I want to take a picture a of that. First end board. I wasn't um I wasn't planning on bringing it, but I had some leftover materials in my car from an in-home session. So yeah. as I was walking up, I'm like, "Ooh, you know what? I'll just bring these in." I'm going to post that on the Patreon. Yeah, yeah, and I also have this token board too. Yeah. Um, yeah, visual cues, visual, um, yeah, visual cues. They're so helpful. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're a person who struggles to communicate, um, you know, I think like relying on, relying on a visual cue can make things so much easier, especially if they're right in front of you. Mm -hmm. Um, because in the moment, like you might not be totally, um, you know, you might not be totally aware of like what is really bothering you, but if you had some like reminders in front of you, mm -hmm. that would make it so much easier. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, last thing I want to mention an article before we end. Um, everyone go read on bustle.com. What is identity first language and should you use it? Anytime I mention an article, just type the title into quotation marks in your web search. You'll find it uh, by J.R. Thorpe. Because this was August of 2017. It refers back to an article that you actually mentioned, the organization. So this article mentions a piece of writing by Lydia Brown of the Autistic Self-Advocacy Network. Um, the difference between using identity first and person first language. So which do you use? Use the identity first language? Identity first language. Yeah, the identity first language. So to say, I'm a disabled person is to use identity first language. So there's a big disagreement from both sides on which one is more compassionate. The argument against it was saying that you wouldn't say a cancerous person versus a person with cancer, but cancer is nothing positive, edifying, or meaningful. It's not part of their identity or how they understand the world. Um, autism, however, is a neurological developmental condition considered a disorder that is disabling in many ways, it is lifelong. Oh no, wait, I'm sorry, I'm reading the wrong thing. Anyway, read this article, consider what you think. What do you think about language and why? Do you have any thoughts on this? Absolutely, yeah, I'm so on board with the identity first language. Um, I'm so on board with identity first language. Um, on the flip side, person first language, an example of that would be person with autism instead of autistic person. The English language, we normally put adjectives before the noun. Um, so although the original intention of person-first language was to be more um, conscientious and respectful towards individuals um, who experience developmental disorders or autism, um, if you really think about the connotations of using person-first language, you're kind of separating the identity from the person. In saying, in saying a person with autism, um, you're putting that identity second because you're saying that, oh, they're a person first and foremost, mm -hmm. um, first before their autism, you're kind of alluding to how mm -hmm. that autistic identity is somehow like bad or separate or stigmatizing. Mm -hmm. So an identity first language is kind of taking um, a stance of autism is a part of my identity. And it's not necessarily it is all something bad. to be proud of. 
it is it isn't a disease it's not degenerative and there's so many blessings and blessings and gifts that come with autism so to separate that from one's identity and put it after the person if you really think about the semantics and the connotation of language use Mm -hmm. you know you're separating that because people don't think that a whole person is an autistic person Mm -hmm. yeah all right so everyone thank you so much i'm sure there's so much we did not get to uh, if you have thoughts or feedback or resources, please write to us, pillowtalk at strangebedfellowspdx.com. Uh, find John metric.cafe on Instagram. Go to my website, stripperwriter.com. You can find Jaden at jadencash.com. Until next time. Not until next time. Thank you for listening to Strange Bedfellows Podcast. To find behind-the-scenes photos, bonus clips, and journals from your guests and hosts, type www.patreon, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash strange bedfellows and join for only $1. Find us online at strangebedfellowspdx.com and Instagram at strangebedfellowspdx. You can find me, L. Stanger, on stripperwriter.com and Instagram as L. Stanger. Write your hate mail or sex and relationship questions to pillowtalk at strangebedfellowspdx.com and find me, John, on Instagram at metric.cafe. Please rate and review our show on your favorite listening app. Thanks for supporting sex education and freedom of expression.